All right. Shabbat Shalom. Romans chapter 14 this week. And I am inspired as I was studying through Romans 14. Because think about it. Think about it. We often lose sight of this. But the Torah is the writings about one generation. Just one single generation. And it should have been about one generation walking into the land of blessings. Just one generation. What we're all about, Torah, 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 is about one generation. And then the prophets came along and they spoke about one generation too. That there would be one generation at the end of the ages which would actually accomplish what that first generation that the Torah is all about, that one generation that took two generations to accomplish because they were disobedient. The prophet spoke of one generation, the final generation, that would accomplish what the first generation failed to do. It's always been about one generation. And I'm reading Romans chapter 14, and I am convinced... We are that generation. And as I go through Romans 14, I believe that you will be convinced that we are that final generation. Because the things over the past 10 years that we have wrestled with at Torah to the tribes, when it comes to Onex, food, barbecues, Sukkot, what we're going to feed you, where we're going out for dinner, the kind of arguments, upsets, emotional feelings that have been trodden on. It's the very thing that Paul was addressing to the Romans. We are living what the prophet spoke about. That's a testimony that we are doing the right thing. Because Romans 14 literally leaps off of the pages for us. When I was at Calvary Chapel in the traditional church setting, I could have no concept of what Romans 14 is really about because I had no experience of what happens in community when you have different kinds of orthodoxy when it comes to the origin of meat. That there are different kind of orthodoxy when it comes to the feasts of Yahuwah and then the additional non-biblical fast days of Jewish tradition. But after 10 years... In the Torah, over 10 years, I've seen calendar arguments. I've seen Orthodox Jews look at my wife crazy when she's tried to order a pizza with kosher meat on it. And then we're like, oh yeah, we'll, uh, we'll try the cheese. And they've said, look, they're looking at us like, what? What are you doing? You're, you're having meat and dairy. We've done, gone the whole gamut. And now I understand that we really are that generation. I'm excited about this week. Let's dive right into verse 1 of chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. 
but not to doubtful disputations. Let's get into the context of this right now. Is this about the inspired word of Yahweh, the commandments from the mountain? Is the argument that is about to be brought up in chapter 14 about the word that came from Yahweh's mouth? Is it? If it is, you're saying that the words that came from Yahweh's mouth are doubtful disputations. And we know that's not so. So this is something human, fleshly, and carnal in origin that has surfaced within the community. It is a doubtful disputation. And the word of Yahweh stands alone forever. And it is without doubt. So the context is... This is human in origin, it is fleshly, and it is rising up within the assembly, the community within Rome. For one believes that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him that eats. Now, let's have a little bit of fun. Hopefully, we've got various translations out there. Nobody let me down. There's got to be an NIV in the house. Is there an NIV in the house, or if we, no one's going to admit to it, are you? <laughs> Is there a BLT, a bacon, lettuce, and tomato, uh, an NLT, a new living translation in the house? Is anyone even going to admit? No one's going to admit to it, are you? Well, anyway, let's have a look at the different translations you can in your own time. But no wonder everybody gets confused. Oh, we've got, oh. Okay, he found it. He's got his smartphone. All right. Give me the translation, please, of verse 3 in the NIV. Okay, so we have this acceptance now on what you eat, according to the NIV. Let's look at verse 3 in the text. Let not him that eats, the Greek word here is estheo. Now, meat is not in the text. It's in no text. Now, some of your translations, they may have inserted meat into the verse. That, that doesn't, it's actually not there. It's let him that eats, the Greek word estheo, Now, if a translator did put meat into the translation right here in verse 3, then they've inserted their own value judgment. We have to understand that. So that should make us very cautious. Meat is not in the text. It just says, Let not him that eats, estheo, and let not him who does not eat, judge him that eats. For Yahweh has received all Israel. So, if meat has been inserted into your translation in verse 3, then that is a translator's value judgment that then starts to muddy the water. Because Romans 14, as we know, has been one of the texts used to support the doing away of the Torah's food laws, the doing away of the feasts and festivals of Yahuwah, even by the likes of Martin Luther and a slew of other clergymen over the millennia. So we really are fighting the status quo here if we're going to look at the text and do it justice. So let's not say any more than what's in the Bible. That's always the best place to start. 
Because the status quo interpretation is one where the weak in faith, of course, those dastardly Jews, are eating kosher and they're keeping the sacred days like the seventh day Sabbath. And these are really just archaic practices. They're fine, but they're not binding on you or me or, of course, modern day believers, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. That's the status quo. But as we get into the text, we're going to see that that's not quite so. Verse 4. Who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master, Yahuwah, he stands or falls. Yes, he shall be held too. For Yahuwah is able to make him stand. One man may esteem one day above another. Another esteems every day the like. Let every man be fully convinced or persuaded in his own mind. Now at this point, me, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to dive in like Martin Luther and other clergymen. I'm just not willing to dive in and discount Paul's earlier words that he said about upholding the Torah in Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Why would I do that? When Paul said, we, do we then nullify the Torah through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we uphold the Torah. So I'm not going to discount his words because of my cultural bias. Surely that's a sensible and reasonable way to approach the Scripture because we have to be honest. We have all been biased when it comes to the faith. I was biased before I was converted that the life that I, live in, that I was living it wasn't really that bad because I was around other people that were actually doing worse things than I was. I was so biased in the sin that I was living that it kept me from the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So we have all got biases, especially when it comes to truth. If we want to live by the Spirit and truth, We have to lay down our biases. And we have to be honest with ourselves. I think that's a reasonable statement, isn't it? And I'm not willing, I'm certainly not willing to designate the holy word of Yahweh, the commandments of Yahweh, as doubtful disputations. There's no way. When the prophets call the commandments perfect, able To convert the soul. How on earth could I call them doubtful disputations? Never. Let it never be so. Simply put, the context is opinions, isn't it? We're talking about some man's opinions, which are doubtful disputations. This is the context of Romans chapter 14, verse 1. The context is is man's opinions, not the commandments of Yahuwah. And without me plowing in now and bungling over the rest of the text, if I just back up to verse 1, I'm going to have an amazing view and revelation of the final generation. It's a litmus test. 
If you are struggling with the things that Paul was struggling with in your congregation, that's a litmus test that you are part of the remnant final generation. And if you have no idea and you think this is about doing away with the Sabbath, doing away with the Torah, and doing away with the food laws in the laws of Moses, then you're not part of that remnant final generation. This is the litmus test. Do the test. Do the test. Because this is, in, this is amazing. Because in reality, I believe we'll find the context of Romans chapter 14 supports Paul addressing a controversy that has erupted during mealtimes due to the fallout of the Edict of Claudius. I'll say it. I don't understand how anybody could teach the book of Romans without talking about the Edict of Claudius. Because the Edict of Claudius, what was going on in the time of this writing, has everything to do with understanding the book of Romans. The Edict of Claudius is huge. It's like trying to talk about what happened in the 20th century without mentioning the Second World War. You've missed the whole context of the 20th century if you missed the First and Second World War, right? Because we are living in an allied-occupied world, and that is the reality. And if you don't talk about that, then everything else is a moot point, right? The Edict of Claudius is key because when the Jews got thrown out of Rome for 10 years, that meant all of the Jewish butchers were gone. So now you've got those coming to faith, and where are they procuring their meat from? The Roman meat markets. The Jews were always distrustful of even the Jews in the diaspora, let alone the Ephraimites. And now, after the Edict of Claudius has lifted, you've got Orthodox Jews coming down from Jerusalem where they know where the origin of their meat is. And they're coming down into these communities of faith in Rome and they're like, whoa, where did this meat come from? From the Roman meat market? Where did this wine come from? I don't know. You, this is, could have been used to bless an idol. And then the few Jews that then returned and started slaughtering their own meat, do you think that they were willing to sell that meat to believers following Yahusha? There ain't no way. I've had that myself up in Portland, Oregon, trying to buy kosher from an Orthodox Jew that then discovers that you're a believer in Yahusha and that you don't mind having a pizza, kosher meat and cheese. They're like, no, we can't do that. See, these are the things that I've had to battle with myself. So the Edict of Claudius gives us some context to what's going on at the time of the writing and how it had affected the availability and accessibility of meat for the Jewish community and the believing community at large. Jews, simply put, they couldn't procure meat and wine from their own sources because the Jewish butchers and slaughter markets were no longer readily accessible. 
Does that make sense? That's the context. The few Jewish butchers that had returned as the edict of Claudius was lifted would have been unwilling to sell meat to Jewish followers of Yahushua, and that is a fact. And history tells us so that the times were changing as they were returning back the Jews to Rome after the um, edict of Claudius had lifted. So this text, like I say, it's so encouraging to me because it shows that we are living the faith that the disciples were living. Because we've had to work through these very situations within this congregation over the past decade. And traditional Christian assemblies, they have no context or experience of such matters. So they bungle with the translation and the understanding of the text. Right here at Torah to the Tribes, we've got a whole kosher kitchen list. And we have generally found out that it is safer to serve up vegetarian-only Onyx. Why? Because the high orthodoxy within this congregation, especially more in times past, it was a lot more, the high orthodoxy within this congregation would only eat meat that they had either slaughtered themselves or it had a kosher rabbinic certification on it. And then those that were less discerning or less orthodox would just bring in regular beef from the grocery store and it would totally, totally cause chaos because they'd say it's kosher. No, it's from a clean animal, but it's not kosher because kosher is a certification. And there would be all of this trouble that would ferment. And finally, I said, you know what? I'm tired of the squabbles every time we have an own egg. We've got the ultra-Orthodox that are slaughtering their own meat or they're buying rabbinic kosher. And then we've got those that are just coming from the Pentecostal church and um, they're buying it from Al's barbecue beef down the road. I have no idea how Al slaughtered his cow. They couldn't care less. It's beef. They used to eat possum, right? And thankfully, this is a great step for them. And, you know, it is offensive when we've got this group's offended, that group's offended. So I said, you know what? Vegetarian only own eggs. Unless we, Torah to the tribes, we procure the meat. And if we procure the meat, it's going to come from a rabbinic certification because we're going to go to the highest standard within the assembly so that we don't offend. Because Paul is communicated as I'm communicating People are more important than your food. That's what it's about. Why would we offend one another at the table? So we try to take out the offense. And this is what Paul is dealing with in his assembly. So right here in this assembly, we cater vegetarian-only own eggs because of the differences in people's observance of slaughter and the origin of meat. Also, we're very mindful of the kosher symbols because that aids you hugely. People don't realize you can go and buy bread and it can literally have the, um, what is it? It will have the um, amino acid. Uh, No, no, what is it? No, it's the, um, it has an ingredient that can come either from a horse's cadaver 
or L-cysteine or a female's cadaver. It is a common ingredient in bread. Subway got busted for for carving up um, gym mats and putting it in their bread. So we are careful. Vitamin D, when you get milk, people aren't even aware of vitamin D3. It can have pig in it. And you're just buying regular yogurt, regular milk. And you could be consuming pig. So we go with the kosher symbols here at the congregation because there are some that are more orthodox. And we're like, no. What about um, carmine, the red food coloring? That's from a beetle juice. That's, that's not right. Lip balm, lipstick with carmine in it. And people are putting be- beetle juice and then consuming it. So we'll only buy kosher. Because it makes our shopping a lot easier if it has a certification. So when we bring it in here, we make sure it has that certification because it saves us a lot of trouble with discernment. They've already discerned that it is appropriate. What about buying milk that has been halal? That means it's been offered to an idol, Allah. We know Allah is nothing. But I don't want anything to do with that. Personally, I'm not going to go to a Chinese restaurant and sit underneath a huge staring Buddha. That offends me. Why would I want to spend my money there? I don't. I don't think that's a good witness to my children. This is what Paul's talking about. Some of us find things offensive that other people don't. And as for me and my house, we try to go to the highest orthodoxy because we have been with various different people over the years in this faith, and we've seen that relationship is far more important than the offenses that can come over food. And this is what Paul is dealing with. So remember, though, when Jonathan had that honey, do you remember back in the Tanakh? I think it's 1 Samuel 14. Turn there with me, because This is a huge misunderstanding. And if we don't understand what's being spoken of in the Word, we can come up with false ideas. Because Jonathan ate honey. His father Saul had given an edict of nobody was to eat. Jonathan hadn't heard, and he went and ate honey, and he was refreshed. But the rest of Israel, they were famished. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 32, is going to teach you about status. Status. And this is a huge thing that people don't know unless they've been in the Torah for a long time. There is such a thing as a clean animal, a sheep. Listen, once that sheep is slaughtered, it is no longer an animal. It has a change of status. It is no longer classified as an animal. It is now classified as meat. A clean animal, once slaughtered, can change its status into unclean meat. So therefore, at Torah to the tribes over the past 15 years, somebody could bring beef in, And it could offend the more orthodox amongst us because we'd say that is unclean meat. Well, it's kosher, it's beef. 
No. Has it got a rabbinic stamp on it? So it's not kosher. It was a clean animal, but the moment it was slaughtered, it changed its status to meat, and a clean animal can be either clean meat or unclean meat depending upon slaughter, and it can be sin or not sin. This text proves what I'm saying. Then the people rushed greedily upon the plunder. They took clean animals, sheep, oxen, and calves. They butchered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they reported to Saul, saying, what? Behold, the people are actually sinning against Yahuwah by eating the blood. Meaning, you can eat beef and be sinning against Yahuwah. You can eat sheep and be sinning against Yahuwah. Yes, because a clean animal, if it's not slaughtered properly, it becomes unclean meat. You didn't recognize a change of status. That is all the commandments are about. We serve an Elohim of change of status. That is the Elohim that we serve. If you don't like it, go find yourself another false God. There is one true living God, and he is the Elohim of change of status. I used to be an unclean man, and I cried out to the Father, How can a young man cleanse his ways? And he said, I can change your status if you accept my son. We serve an Elohim of change of status. Do not diminish the word of Yahuwah because of your gut. This is powerful stuff. And we've had so much offense in this congregation over the past 15 years because of people's guts. There's so many unhealthy people. So many unhealthy people that are sick. And it is not because you have to follow my orthodoxy But Yahweh wants us to be healthy in our temple bodies, which means, first and foremost, we've got to love one another and build community. And our devices are always secondary. People are first. And that's what Paul's dealing with. That's what's most important. So, beware of the change of status, because a clean animal, once slaughtered, changes status from animal to meat, and meat can be designated clean or unclean, even if from a clean animal. And the act of consuming it can thereby thereby be sin or not, all depending upon the method of slaughter, the origin of the meat, which is the context of Romans 14. The context of Roman 14. Now, a kosher symbol, people will blow it off and they say, oh, I don't need kosher. A rabbi, it's just a rabbi's blessing. Um, No, it's not. You've forgotten about the deveining. What about all those veins that carry the blood? What are you going to deal with that? We're not to eat the blood. That's a commandment. There has to be serious deveining in meat to get rid of the blood. What about traif? That's a Hebrew term for an animal that is sick, blemished, or injured. That's not supposed to be slaughtered. In Safeway, they couldn't give a rip whether the animal is lame, injured, or blemished. They'll still slaughter it and sell you the meat. So again, the commandments tell us that we're not to take an injured animal, right? 
That animal has to be healthy. It can't be diseased. It can't be sickened. Now, a rabbinic certification is going to guarantee that you didn't get that. That's for sure. We're not to eat the tendon of the hip socket. Right? Remember, Jacob was touched. In the, we're not to eat that. Well, that's ground up in your hamburger. See? So there's a lot more to this than just blowing off a rabbinic certification. You've got to do your due diligence, and you've got to get rid of your prejudices. And that's so hard when it comes to people's tummies. Because we what? Some people are ruled by their stomachs. That's why... We have to spend more time to consider these things. Unless you're doing your own slaughter, to me, certified kosher is the fastest way to eliminate a lot of uncleanness in your food. And really, I just don't want uncleanness in my food. Even here locally, Trader Joe's, they have certified kosher meat, don't they? It's readily accessible. Now, I'm not trying to be all holier than now because once in a while I'll go off the reservation and I'll eat out. And I'm very discerning when I do that. And I'm with trusted people, trusted believers who I know have the same kind of orthodoxy that I do, that they value where the origin of their food comes from and they're discerning as me and I feel comfortable around them and comfortable because I understand that they have the same orthodoxy when it comes to health, diet, and discerning of the word. So I'm not saying that I will only do that, but I am very, very cautious and occasionally have made mistakes and have had to call up somebody and say, you know what, I made a mistake. And, and, and that is all part of the growth that we should have if we take this seriously. So the context of Romans chapter 14 is there was an oneg, or what you would call a potluck in the world, but an oneg in a strong person's house, a seasoned Gentile, an Ephraimite believer's house was putting on an oneg, Right? But a Jewish neophyte, a new believer in Yahusha, a Jew that had come down from Jerusalem or a group of them, they would only eat vegetables in that situation and then they were being abused by the strong in the faith because they were like, you know what, I'm only going to eat vegetables. That's me. I'm not a neophyte. I'm not a new believer. But oftentimes when I go out to a restaurant with people, I will choose only to eat vegetables and fish. Because quite honestly, I am very discerning and I'm very concerned about what I put into this body temple. So I will choose to eat vegetables rather than mess around with trying to figure out what the heck is going on with that food they're trying to serve me. So I understand where this is coming from. But the Judean Jews were highly skeptical of the kosher adherence of the Jews out in the nations. They didn't trust them. They're like, no, they didn't trust them. They'd been getting their meat from Jewish Orthodox meat markets, and they did not trust the Roman Jews where they were getting their meat from. Weak really is akin to seared or sensitive in conscience. And quite honestly, I am very seared and sensitive in conscience. I am. 
I am. I had to call up your husband a few weeks ago when we went out for dinner because there was an idol sitting down looking at me. And after dinner, that really bothered me. It really bothered me. I know an idol is nothing. I'm trying to have fellowship with a friend. And I'm, you know, it's just, I don't need that in my life. I don't want to frequent that kind of place. I've come so far that I don't need that in my life. I don't need to look at a stone Buddha unless it's target practice. Additionally, we do know from history that the early Nazarenes and the Ebionites, they only ate vegetables because they were very discerning too. And this is recorded by the early church fathers that the Ebionites, they were strict vegetarians only because their orthodoxy was high. So vegetarianism easily eliminates the threat of idol contamination and it easily eliminates the threat of the origin of meat markets totally. And so I opt for that oftentimes and so does my family. We found that that works especially when you're traveling. Especially when you're traveling. So the context, going back to the context here... What works to build a community and what does harm to a community, this is what the section of the letter is about. It is not about doing away with the Torah. So Paul wants the community to be free from petty differences. Just like here at Torah to the Tribes, we want the community to be free of petty differences. Because it's not worth it. The people are more important. We need to focus on the ministry and sacrifice of Messiah, right? That's what it's about. Instead of being critical of one another, each should turn their eyes inward and be critical of their own walk. Well, look at him. He's only eating vegetables. Doesn't he realize he's got the liberty to eat meat from the grocery store? Well, look at him, man. That guy, he just bought meat from the grocery store. Doesn't he realize that it should be ritually slaughtered and kosher certified? And everybody's judging everybody else, and then you've got clicks. We've found it. We've seen it, haven't we, honey? We've seen it all. And on the orthodoxy gravitates to one another, and the liberals gravitate to one another, and the next thing you know... You've got disunity and the food and the stomach and the belly is driving the community when it should be the sacrifice and blood of Messiah, not the blood or not blood in the meat, right? Then we're down into the carnal instead of the spiritual. Instead of the spiritual. So this is what Paul is dealing with. And this is a witness to me because I'm like, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. We have had literally squabbles, tears, offenses, had to call people. We have seen it all over 15 years in here that we literally have got massive signs in the kitchen, don't we? Can we bring one of those in for the internet audience? I mean, they're huge. I mean, we do. We literally have massive signs because still, even now we've come into the Malkit Zedek, still there is all different orthodoxy within us. So now, let's go on a little bit further as we go down into the next verse. But before I do, remember what was written previously, because this is huge. Acts chapter 15, verse 20, sets a precedent. Sets a precedent. Oh, they're not as big as they used to be. Don't worry about it. 
Acts chapter, they've shrunk, see? We're not quite as bad as we used to be. Acts chapter 15 verse 20 does set a precedent, let's be aware of it. Abstain from the contamination of idols and from sexual immorality and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has had in every city those who proclaim him since he is read in all the synagogues every Shabbat. What is that saying? It's saying, hey, abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. Abstain from things that are strangled and blood. Abstain from sexual immorality and go to synagogue on Shabbat and listen to the Torah of Moses and you'll get the rest of the instruction over the year or triennial Torah portion cycle and you'll learn more. But these are the basic fellowship requirements for us. So now we have to understand that that precedent has already been set. So anything going forward, it's still going to go upon this precedent. You can't reinvent the wheel. This has already been set, which is huge. Now we can go into verse 2. For one believes that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eats only vegetables. That's not verse 2, though, is it? What verse is that? Oh, that is 2. Okay, I thought I got my numbers wrong. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eats only vegetables. Now this is not an abstract statement. The all things are not, this is huge, they are not unqualified statements now. Right? This is not an unqualified statement. Paul is writing in line with the apostolic decree of Acts 15 that I've already read you. So what does that make this? A qualified statement. Now, I was never taught to study the Bible like this in the church. But now I'm like, well, this is huge, right? So now I am limited and restricted to the text. What is qualified and unqualified, right? This is not an unqualified statement. Acts Acts chapter 15 verse 20 makes this a qualified statement. So I have to work within the framework of the text. To abrogate, get rid of the Torah's food laws, you have to make this an unqualified statement, don't you? Which violates the text. This is basic kindergarten stuff to me now, but this seems so advanced 15 years ago. But as I've learned to study, I've learned to think. Because he's come to set our minds free too from the traditions of men. The traditions of men. If you want to do away with the Torah and you want to do away with the food laws, then you have to make this an unqualified statement. And you have to ignore the Bible writings that have gone before. And I'm just not willing to do that. The main pitfall other than a lawless prejudice, is approaching this letter as an abstract essay by Paul on matters indifferent or a theological treatise. These are not hypothetical remarks that he's talking about within the text. Because the next thing you know, if you treat it that way, you're going to have a what? You're going to have a church sermon which is going to apply this text to any abstract thing, legalistic divisions over makeup, dancing, the length of a skirt, smoking, drinking, gambling even. 
But that's not what this text is about, and it should never be applied that way. Have you ever heard of this text applied in those conditions? But that is not what this text is about. It should never be applied that way whatsoever. It has nothing to do with such divisions, and neither should it be applied to such. This is the kind of thing back in the day that would absolutely make me cringe and fidget in my pew. I'd be like, this has got nothing to do with smoking. This has got nothing to do with the fact that my wife likes to wear makeup. This has got nothing to do with the fact that I love to dance. This has got nothing to do with that. Paul already designated meat in verse 20 anyway. In verse 20, Paul designates meat as katharos in the Greek, which interestingly comes from Leviticus chapter 14 in the Hebrew, tahor or chatar. He's already, already designated it. But just because it's clean, according to Leviticus 14, doesn't guarantee, and here's the point, that it is not koinos or common. The Greek word koinos means common in verse 14 because the Jews were concerned that the meat was koinos. It was common. It was clean, animal, but it was common from a Roman meat market source. And that was causing a major problem. So verse 1 sets the context. Verses 2 and 3, they kind of form a bridge of what's to come in verse 6. Because now we're going to get a shift to the days and fasting and calendared fast days, whether they should be observed or whether they shouldn't be observed. Do you see the shift as the text progresses? So the strict people... They were to eat only vegetables. They are most probably the same ones who would fast and wouldn't eat on extra calendar fast days. Like the Jews would often fast on the 9th of Av to commemorate the destruction of the temple. That was the 9th of Av. There were regular Jewish fast days on Mondays and Thursdays. Twice a week they would observe these days. This was most probably the high orthodoxy would stick to the extra-biblical fasts, and they would only eat vegetables. And this was causing a division within the community. The sacred days here is not referring to the Sabbath or the feast days. It is not referring to the Sabbath or the feast days, but it is referring to Jewish traditional fast days. Shabbaton, the Greek word for Sabbath, is glaringly absent from our text. It ain't there. So you can't make things up. It's just not right. Verse 6. He that regards the day of eating regards it to Yahuwah. But he that regards not the day to Yahuwah, he does not regard this. Now this is a positive action, not a negative action, meaning it's applied to extracurricular Jewish fast days. This isn't applied to pagan love fests. So you have to understand this. This is a positive action, not a negative action. So you can't flip it and say that this is about the pagan love fests. 
No, this is about the extra biblical Jewish fast days like the ninth of Av, the Monday and Thursday fasting. This is what the context is building. Verse 7, for no Israelite man, oh no, I, I jumped, I jumped, sorry. And let me continue on in verse 6. He that eats, eats to Yahuwah, for he gives thanks. Gives thanks. Of course, that's the blessing. Baruch atah Yahuwah Elohenu Melech HaOlam Borei Menei Mazanot. Blessed art thou, Yahuwah our Elohim, king of the universe, who brings forth diverse foods. He's talking about the blessing that would be given before the mealtime. And he that eats not before Yahuwah, he eats not, and neither does he, of course, then do the food blessing. Kind of makes sense to me. This is talking about the Orthodox Jews that had come down from Jerusalem after the edict of um, Claudius had lifted. They couldn't procure meat from their Jewish sources, so they ate only vegetables. And because of their high orthodoxy, they would fast on all of these extra biblical fast days. This caused a problem with the believers in Yahushua that would bring in their meat from the Roman markets, that they would only keep the biblical feasts. They'd be eaten on the 9th of Av. They'd be eating on Mondays and Thursdays. They weren't particularly concerned of the origin of where their meat was slaughtered or where they got their wine from, and it was causing problems as it has caused problems right here within these four walls over the past 10 years or so, right? And my wife's smiling in the back. <laughs> wow, it has been like a maze trying to nab a minefield, has it not? And that's why so many times we're like, Tamara and I are like, we'll just take the vegetables. Yeah, we'll do the vegetables. Let's go out for dinner and eat more vegetables and pasta like I need pasta crying out bloody loud, you know, unless we're with people of the same orthodoxy and concern, and then we're like, you know what, I trust that where they got the buffalo from, they knew that what they were doing. Right? So, verse 7, for no is- it went deadpan silent, didn't it? Didn't it? My goodness. Is everybody hungry? I'm so hungry. (laughs) For no Israelite man lives for himself, and no Israelite man dies for himself. For whether we live, we live for Yahuwah. And whether we die, we die for Yahuwah. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to and for Yahuwah. There is more pressing matters happening. The Roman emperor is going to round you guys up throw you in the sand pits and let the blooming lions out. Then when it gets dark at night, he's going to stick you on a pole. He's going to tar you and light you up. There are more pressing matters coming down the pike as there are more pressing matters coming down our pike too in these days. So let's really refocus on the faith, not on our bellies. We belong to Yahuwah for this purpose, verse 9. Messiah both died and rose and was revived so that he might be the master Yahuwah, both of the dead and of the living, verse 10. But why do you judge your Israelite brother? 
Well, why do you despise your Israelite brother over these secondary issues? We've seen people literally leave the fellowship over being upset over ingredients in food or not food because one person classified it as food and another person classified it as not. We have seen that. And it's a sad thing. Because we shall all stand before the beamer seat of our Messiah. For it is written, now he's going to quote to us from Isaiah 45, verse 23. For it is written, as I live, as I live, says the Master Yahuwah, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to the Master Yahuwah. This is huge. Paul, right here, is demonstrating an extremely strong and high Christology. This, is an ex- you, this cannot be missed. Paul is demonstrating an extremely high and strong Christology here by attributing the divine Echad Elohim of Isaiah to Yahushua. This cannot be missed. This cannot be missed. This is a high Christology that cannot be missed, and so many people just like to blow right through that, but not me. So then, verse 12, each one of us shall give an account to himself to Yahweh. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but rather let's be mindful of this, that no man put any unnecessary stumbling block or an occasion to fall into his Israelite brother's path. This is so important that we do this, that we take care to meet each other where we're at in our orthodoxy. And for us, we always raise the standard to the most orthodox because then we won't offend anybody. And oftentimes we'll bypass meat and go for the vegetables just because we have seen so many diverse people within our faith community. And at Sukkot, when we do cater, thanks to the gifts and tithes and offerings of people, which is huge, we're being able to do that, and we actually buy kosher certified meat. And that's a huge blessing, because then we know that the high orthodoxy isn't going to be offended, those families aren't, or their conscience being seared isn't going to be devastated. I have to tell you the truth. My kids one time, they ate cubed beef, and it came from the regular supermarket, and it was not kosher, and they were devastated. Devastated. Because we have raised our children up in a kosher, strict household. Because we were ultra-Orthodox Messianics for a long time. And we've continued to see the health blessing of that. And we like the fact that it's so much faster and discerning. You can just look for the kosher stamp and you're not going to get the carmine beetle juice in your um, product. You're not going to get the dead lady's hormones in your bread. I mean, that just makes sense to me, you know? 
You're not going to be eating a horse when you're having a sandwich, right? Because it's in the bread, that L-cysteine. It's brutal. It's brutal. Why is there so much cancer? Why is there so much disease? Because for me, I want to have a clean temple. But ultimately, the cleanness is cleaning the inside of my cup, not looking at the speck in you or you when I've got a whopping big plank, right? I want to build a community, and a community is a community that's focused on the blood of Messiah. That's where it should be. That's where it should be. We've made a lot of mistakes here, but I tell you what, we've seen that it's about people. It's about people. If you choose doctrine over people, then you're going to end up in dogma. And I've seen it. And it's a sad state of affairs. I will always choose people. That doesn't mean that I'm going to compromise my faith. No. I will always stand for the faith, but I will always choose to meet people where they're at to try and bring them into a higher orthodoxy of true faith. So let's continue on now in verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Savior, Yahushua, that there is nothing common, the Greek word there, koinos, of itself. But to him that esteems anything to be common, to him it's common then, isn't it? Verse 14 is the kicker. I love it. This is the kicker. As a student of Gamaliel, if Paul If Paul had ever wanted to nail the Torah to the cross right here as a student, linguistically, he understood the Greek language, he understood the Hebrew language. If he wanted to, without doubt, nail the Torah to the cross, get rid of the feast days, get rid of the food laws, verse 14 was his opportunity to do it. Let me explain. There is nothing common. The Greek word here is koinos. There is nothing common, koinos, in itself or of itself. The Torah designates unclean animals. Listen. The Torah designates unclean animals in Leviticus 14 as tamay. Pigs and shrimpies. And lobsters are tamay. The Septuagint translates tamay as akathartos. 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 But akathartos does not appear in this text. Nowhere. Paul deliberately used koinos when he could have used akathatos. Why did he do that? Why did he deliberately use a word that does not appear in the Torah in this text when he had every opportunity to get rid of the food laws right here in verse 14? But he didn't. He didn't. Verse 14, if you're understanding what I'm saying, is a slam dunk textual proof that Paul is not doing away with the 
food laws because there is no akathatos in the text. Koinos means to lie common or open to all. Common or common ownership. This is not talking about doing away with the kosher food laws. This is about common meat that is open to all in the meat markets. And he designates it as such. If he had wanted to say that you can eat piggy wiggy woos, he would have put in the text this Greek word, Akathartos, and he doesn't. He deliberately doesn't want to confuse you, doesn't want you thinking pagan things in a pagan Gentile world. So he uses a word that isn't even in the Torah so that you would never mix the two. You do understand he is a student of Gamaliel and he deliberately speaks the word of Yahweh to his people. Verse 14, any scholar... Any scholar, if you present this to them and they're honest, this is a textual proof that Paul did not get rid of the food laws in the Torah. There is no way around it if you are truly lay aside your prejudices and you just look at the text. You look at the fact that he was a student of Gamaliel, that he understood Hebrew and he understood Greek and he understood the Septuagint and he did not put in the Greek word that is attributed to the Hebrew word Tomei here because he wanted no confusion. He uses common koinos open and laid bare for all in the Roman meat markets. This is powerful to me. When I saw that, I'm like, oh my goodness. Why would Paul use a word that doesn't even appear in the Septuagint Torah unless he wanted to leave absolutely no confusion that he wasn't abrogating the food laws? And he's done that and demonstrated that to me. The translation bias in verse 14, should also key us into that deception. Let me have a little bit of fun. Because in the true living version, they stick in unholy. In the CEB, they put wrong to eat. In the RSV, it has unclean. Even in the Restoration True Name Edition, they've inserted unclean. Now, of course, the NIV, as always, never letting us down, they lead the pack with no food is unclean. Wow! What's really amazing is that is just plain fraud. It's fraud because there is no textual manuscript on the planet out of close to 5,000 Greek manuscripts that supports that translation. It is pure translation fraud. And people buy it. And don't say, oh, it's just the NIV. Now, when I got converted, I was given an NIV. And I learned the word of Yahuwah, and I am thankful. But to be discerning over doctrine, you can't be doing that. For a general cursory read at nighttime to my kids to put them to bed, I have no problem with the NIV. But if you want to discern doctrine and how to live and keep the commandments of Yahweh, the NIV is going to be a stumbling block. It is nearly inspired. Verse 15. 
But if your Israelite brother is grieved by your food, the Greek word here for food is broma, comes from the Hebrew word okel. And Glenn, where do you think you'd find the, um, the word broma in the Septuagint or the Hebrew word okel, its equivalent? No other place than Leviticus chapter 11, verse 34 where it's talking about clean meat, and it's the only occurrence in Torah, and it says this, of all meat which may be eaten. So the context of verse 15 is Leviticus, clean meat that may be eaten. This is huge. I hope you guys are getting this. This is very profound, because many... Family members are going to come up and say, oh, you can eat anything. We are showing you textual manuscript, not my opinion, but solid, un, I mean, unequivocal evidence in the text by the language that Paul is saying here, no, I am not abrogating the food laws. Do not bring your pagan, filthy mind into this. I am trying to set you free in community. We are all about keeping Yahweh's commandments. Yahweh doesn't change. No shadow of shifting. You shifty little gits trying to bring in your filth. Right? No. We've got to stay righteous and holy in our temples. So let's continue on. Now, he goes on to say in verse 15, But if your Israelite brother is grieved by your food, Broma, or Okel, Leviticus 11, verse 34, destroy him with your food choices for which Messiah died. Let not then your good be spoken evil of. For the kingdom of Yahuwah, it's not about food and drink, but it's about righteousness, it's about peace, it's about joy, it's about being in the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That's what we're to be about. For he, for who, then he in who these choices serves Messiah is acceptable to Yahuwah and approved of men, verse 19. Let us there follow, therefore follow after the things that make for shalom and things which we may edify one another. For food choices will not destroy the work of Yahuwah. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eats so as to cause a stumbling. In the Greek text, all things indeed are pure. Pas men kathros, all things are pure, And, of course, this is usually ripped way out of context, isn't it? Many translators, the NIV and the NLT, don't help by slyly slipping in food into their translations, and it's actually not there in the text. We need to stick to a limited application of these texts to what actually is being stated. And when we see what actually is being stated we never end up with these pagan ideas that we were taught in our childhood because we didn't stick to the text. We were more interested in bringing our culture into the church than rather than kicking the culture out. 
And that's what we should have been doing. This is a sick and twisted culture, and it shouldn't have anything to do with our faith. Don't bring the culture into the faith. Do like the brother did, and go and be the culture to the culture, a biblical culture to that rotten culture. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Brothers and sisters in the faith, we're to go out there and do the culture on them. You want to be a bit of culture on you, right? That's what it's all about. It's exciting. We need to stick to the limited application of what actually is being stated rather than inventing words and phrases with a broad brushstroke because the next thing you'll know, you'll be tripping all over the pig slop. And you don't want that. Look at verse 21. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or anything whereby your Israelite brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So we've got to be careful when we get to that verse of, has anybody heard of this, the Lutheran, the Lutheran doctrine of Iadophora? It's a Lutheran doctrine of Iadophora, and it means indifference, indifference. And that doctrine talks about the doctrine differences not related to justification by faith. They were classified as Iadophora, Iadophora. Now, Romans 14 is in a restrictive context, not in a permissive context. And that's why I want to bring up that Lutheran doctrine, because if you're familiar with it growing up in a Lutheran society, maybe you're from Germany, that type of thing, or certain districts in England, you may be familiar with it. But you cannot, you cannot use the Lutheran Eadophora clause to say that you can go against the commandments of Yahuwah just because your denomination permits it. Because people will say, well, that's not a salvation issue. They're putting in the Lutheran clause of Eadophora, so therefore it's permissible for me. That's where that comes from. Does that make sense? Well, that's not a salvation issue, so therefore it's permissible for me. No, we understand that the food laws are not a salvation issue, but that doesn't mean that it's permissible for us to violate the commandments of Yahuwah. We are not going to use the Lutheran doctrine of Eadophora to be libertarians, are we? And that's why we see so much of that in the Lutheran realm, especially throughout Europe, my background, which put me off from joining the faith because that's what's what I saw demonstrated to me. This doesn't apply to anything that would make a brother stumble. So I'm not going to justify someone sucking on swine just because I don't want to stumble them in their daily devotions, right? Oh, I don't want to say anything about that brother choking on the pork over there because, you know, I don't want to stumble him in his daily devotions. No, once in a while I may come along and I may just want to overturn your bed to wake you up from your sleep apathy. So, yeah, I may sometimes offend somebody because they're asleep in the faith, because they're following the doctrines and commandments of men instead of the commandments of the living Elohim. So if I see somebody who has been brainwashed by the doctrines and traditions of men, I'm not going to cater to that and hold my tongue necessarily. Because that would be me taking on the Lutheran doctrine of Iodophora. Oh, well, you know, 
it's not a salvation issue, so I'm not going to say anything. No, I should try and help my brothers and sisters come into a greater orthodoxy of holiness, should I not? And holiness means sanctification from the pagan rituals of the world. So don't be deceived by that Lutheran doctrine. Verse 22, we are finishing up here. Finally, have you faith? Have you? Have you faith? Well, have it to yourself before Yahuwah. Favored is he that condemns not himself in that thing which he allows. And he that doubts and eats violates his own faith because he eats not with faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin. To conclude with, think about it. This makes so much sense. Any action that we take that isn't based upon faith and trusting in Yahweh, it can lead us into sin, can't it? Think about it. All the stupid things I've done that have led me into sin, it's because I didn't listen and I wasn't acting in faith. So whatever you do, act in faith and it will keep you from sin. That includes what you do with your body temple. That's what Paul's saying. Because at the end of the day, Yahweh wants a vibrant, healthy community where we come together, where we're not bickering over the table, but we're having fellowship at the table. And if that means that we have to raise the bar to the highest orthodoxy or those that are seared in conscience or weak in the faith, then we should do that because we want to facilitate growth, fellowship, health, and life. And it is a lot healthier to eat only vegetables anyway, right? So Paul is looking for the health and vibrancy of community. And let's trust Yahweh. And any action that we do, let's do it in faith. And if we're doing something with no faith, then that's going to lead us into sin. So don't live that way. What will our conscience convict us of is the question. We've got to hear that still, small voice. We've got to hear it over the clutter of the soul. Because my soul wants to get fed. It wants linguine and it wants it now. It does. What's that? My wife in the back going, there's nothing wrong with linguine. There's nothing wrong with linguine, but when you turn 40, there's a lot wrong with linguine. It lingers. The linguine lingers. I don't like lingering linguine. I'd rather have the vegetables. Do you see that action? The vegetables. So, what will... That's too much information. What will our conscience convict us of? We've got to hear that still, small voice over the clutter of our carnality, over the clutter of that flesh, because otherwise we'll reap destruction when really Paul is saying he wants us to reap intimate fellowship with one another. 
And a great way of having intimate fellowship is having the hospitality of Abraham. And Abraham bought out butter products and meat and served them up at the same time. I have no problem with lasagna. Now, I will question the origin of the meat, but that's my orthodoxy. And if that is going to be offensive, I say let's just bring in and have a vegetable lasagna and have a good time. We have struggled with these things in our family, with our family, with our extended family. I've had to sit down, and I've had to... My, my mum's come over from England. I say, Mum, we're going out for dinner. And she'll like, oh, yeah. I'm like, Mum, you know what? You're going to have to pick something else off the menu. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah we'll go out, Mum, but you've got, you know, I've got kids here. I don't need to get... All right. If you're going to dine with us, Mum, you've got to stick with what we're eating. So, you know, you can go out on your own in the morning. We'll stay at home if you've got to eat that, but we're not having it at the table because I've got kids here. And quite honestly, I don't, I don't want to have to smell that. And it's a witness, you know. It is. First of all, my mum was like, oh. you know, it was a little uncomfortable, but now she's with the program, you know. And she just like chalks it up to, oh, that's their religion. It's good, though. I love it because it's a testimony. And we get to dialogue and have fellowship. And that's what Paul's talking about. Fellowship and people are more important than our desires. So, Abba, we thank you. Pray, Abba, that you can make sense of what I said today. (laughs) Abba, you are the one true living Elohim. And I know, Abba, that we are that generation that one generation, because we're struggling through the same things that the faith community that Paul was speaking to struggled through. I thank you, Abba, for giving us the discernment to be able to see. And Abba, I thank you for setting me in the midst of the congregation of your people to be able to see these struggles over the years that we could be where we're at now, Abba. I thank you for the provision, Abba, that you have brought forth, that we're able to cater and serve up kosher food to the brethren at Sukkot. I thank you for, Abba, how people are really, really pressing in and seeking you. And we lift up your holy name, Yahuwah, in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen.